0: Uh, take your Bibles this morning to 2 Kings. That's right after 1 Chronicles. Wow, that nobody got that. <laughs> 2 Kings. It's actually immediately after 1 Kings. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm excited to preach today. Uh, for the past, I don't know, six days, I've listened to preaching. I've gotten to do one devotion to my guys uh, that were in my dorm. And I've gotten to do... Uh, one devotion to the entire youth group. But man, when you're spiritually charged and you're a preacher, it's kind of like, well, where's all this charge going? You know, and so I'm excited to preach today 2 Kings chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1 and we'll only read 15 verses. So if you will, please really focus in on what the passage is telling us this morning. Verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5, the Bible says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria... "...was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies, and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife, and she said unto her mistress... Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Verse 7. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth Send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy. Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so, when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel." So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hands over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean Verse 15, And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore, I pray, take, take a blessing of thy servant. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we, I love your word. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the men of God in your word that give us examples to follow. I thank you for this time in our church service where we can all be encouraged by the precious word of God. Lord, please now bless the few moments that we have together around your word. And Lord, may your spirit be working in the hearts of every hearer today. And may we all receive the word of God with an openness, openness and a readiness to act upon what you tell us to do. Lord, I thank you for all you do. Please bless this service. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen. America is in a great need for some miracles. This county, this church, and yes, even this preacher needs to see some miracles from God. I'll say I I love reading through the Bible at some of the... I don't know, I call them the theatrical miracles that are in the Bible. Remember that one miracle where Moses is fleeing from Egypt's army. God has sent 10 plagues upon Egypt. And recall the story with me, if you will, as uh, now Pharaoh, against his greater judgment, against his uh, stubborn will, says, "Okay, Moses, you can take your children. You can take the children of Israel. They're just a hassle anyway. And now Pharaoh releases them and, 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 and it's cool because Egypt even gives them spoil. says, hey, you take our stuff. We want you gone so bad you can take our spoil. And so Israel's blessed by God and, and they're ju- jubilantly leaving the, Egypt and now they come to a river. They come to a body of water and, and, and they're standing there. And, and this is no problem because I'm sure they realize they can circumvent it. It's no problem. They'll just go right around the edge. Little did they know, however, Pharaoh had had a turning turn in heart. And Pharaoh had hardened his heart against God. And he says, I'll show these Israelites. Nobody's going to tell the greatest ruler of all the land when people can go and when people can come. I'm in charge here. Now remember, as Pharaoh gets his army, arms his army, takes them, and he's going to slaughter the children of Israel. And now standing on the banks of a body of water, they look up at the body of water, and they look behind them, and they see Pharaoh's army behind them coming in to slaughter them. A very scary time, a very unsure time, I'm sure. And at this moment, God does one of the greatest miracles in all the Bible. As Moses stands on the banks of the river and everybody's saying, Moses, what are we going to do? You just brought us here so that Egypt could kill us now. And there were no graves in Egypt and you just brought us here to die. And now the great story is told as Moses lifts up his hands and takes his rod and spikes it down in that water. And you all know the miracle I'm referencing. God parts the water. The Bible says that they all walked across on dry ground. What a great miracle of the Word of God. I love the miracle of the three Hebrew children. I love how everybody else, all their peers, everyone around them, they bow to the statue. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say, we're not going to do it. They say, we're going to make a stand for our God and we're not going to bow our knee to anybody but him. Amen. And then it's just a beautiful story as old Nebuchadnezzar comes down. And he says, you, you heat that furnace seven times hotter than it's ever been heated before. Some of the greatest men in the army come and take Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and they walk them to the edge of the furnace. And remember, the Bible tells us, it says, these great strong men throw Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the furnace they're consumed in the fire because it's so extremely hot. But the fire did not touch the three Hebrew children. Amen. And I remember the words of Nebuchadnezzar in that moment when he looks down. He says, hey, advisor, come here. Did not we cast three men into the fire? Now, not, I, maybe my memory's bad, but wasn't it just three of them? Oh, yes, sir. Just three of them. Well, then tell me why I see four men in the fire. All loose, walking around. But there's something unique about the fourth because he has the image of the son of God. What a great miracle of deliverance. America, this church, you need to see some miracles like that. But where are they? The Bible says that God doesn't change. If you understand anything about the holiness of God, there's no need for Him to change. So if the God who produced the miracles hasn't changed, why aren't we seeing miracles like we did in the Old Testament? Let me tell you today, I'm going to take a look at three reasons miracles do not occur this day and age. First of all, look with me if you will. I believe, as you look in this passage, you see our story is being silenced. If you read this passage, you find that the true hero of this story is not Elisha. The true hero of this story really is not even Naaman and having the faith to go dip in the the Jordan uh, River. The true hero of this story is a little girl. Just a small maid and, and... She is the reason that Naaman ever knew that there was a man of God that could help him. You see, our story is being silenced today. Nobody knows of our miracles because we don't tell of our miracles. Nobody is able to see the great works that God does because the great works that God is doing, we just take them for granted. I believe there's two reasons that our story is being silenced. First of all, because of our unmoving concern. Look in verse 1 of chapter 5 here. The Bible says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. You see, I believe that this little maid from time to time, as she was the servant of uh, Naaman's wife, I believe that from time to time she had to see Naaman taking off his armor. And I believe from time to time, even though Naaman looked strong on the outside, even though he looked big and, and, and maybe like a real man ought to look, not like I look, but like a real man ought to look. Strong. A mighty man of valor, the Bible calls him. But underneath that armor, there was a hole. Yeah. Amen. He took off that armor, and everybody else was intimidated by this man. But this little maid, she saw a problem with Naaman. And she said, You know, you may be able to take swords and you may be able to deliver Syria, but you have a problem. And everybody else viewed Naaman as a man who had everything, a mighty man of valor, somebody who was honorable with his master. Everybody says, man, look at Naaman, what a great guy. And this little maid says, you can do a lot of stuff, but I see you deal with some struggle. There's a man in Israel that that if you'll just go to him, I'm sure he can fix your problem. You know, the first reason I believe our story is being silenced is because we're just simply not concerned about the people we see around. John chapter 3 is one of my very favorite chapters in all the Bible. And for good reason. One of the most famous verses in the Bible is in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John chapter 3 is the story of Nicodemus. A Pharisee comes to Jesus by night. A man who's well versed in the law. A man very good, very strong. And he comes to Jesus and he just has a couple questions. And everybody else respects uh, Nicodemus like nobody else. I mean, he's part of the Sanhedrin council. He's, he, this guy has it. If anybody in Israel has it, this guy has it. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, unless you're born of water and of spirit, You cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And now everybody else says, Nicodemus, man, you have arrived. And Jesus says, there's a hole under your armor. John chapter 4 is the story of the woman at the well. Now there was a lot of holes under her armor. She was what we would call filthy. She was dirty. She was filling up her water pot at an odd time of the day, so that she didn't have to deal with other women. And Jesus comes in and He says, Draw me some water. The woman at the well says, How is it that you being a Jew, asks of a woman of Samaria to draw you water? And Jesus goes on to say, If you only knew the water that I had to offer you. You know what I love about John chapter 3 and John chapter 4? Is Jesus witnesses to the religious and the rebellious. He witnesses to the polished and to the dirty. Jesus sees no difference between someone who we say, quote unquote, has it and somebody who doesn't. All men need to be saved and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ Christ. I want to ask you a question this morning. I wonder if the Bible says it is harder for a rich man to enter into heaven than for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle. If maybe that has something to do with the way we perceive rich men. Yeah. Amen. Rich men have everything, don't they? So why would they need our little Jesus? I remember the other day we were door knocking for I believe it was Anniversary Sunday, and there was we were knocking in a housing community and and, and there's all these smaller houses, 15 to 2,500 square feet homes. And, and they were very nice, but uh, we were knocking on those doors no problem. However, we look up and there is one home that is immaculate. It is huge. Uh, the teenagers will attest, it had to be at least 4,000 square feet, 5,000 square feet. There was a yacht in the backyard, a powerboat in the garage three cars. This thing was on the top of the hill. This was beautiful. Now I'll be honest, I was a little intimidated to go knock on that door. And to be honest, really, the only reason I what did was because I wanted to see the guy behind it. Like, man, what do you do? Drugs? You know, <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> and I was very anxious to see who was living behind the door of that house. I wonder If the Bible doesn't say, it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God because us Christians would never go up to them and say, you have a problem in your life. And maybe you have all the finances in the world, but there's a hole under your armor. I believe we're just not concerned about the lost people in this nation. You say, oh, 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 brother Andrew, uh, I have a person in my life, but they they seem to have everything. If they don't have Jesus, they ain't got nothing. And maybe they drive expensive cars. That's just a load of debt. Maybe they live in a nice home. That's just a large check they have to write every month. But my friend, there is nothing like the peace that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if you're polished. It doesn't matter if you're pure. It doesn't matter if you're dirty. Jesus loves all sinners of the world. I believe one of the reasons we're not seeing miracles is we're just not telling our story enough. Because we're not concerned enough about the people that we're around every day. Secondly is because of our undesirable circumstances. Look in verse number two of this chapter. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. Now it's easy to read over a word there, but the Bible clearly says she was taken away captive. She's a prisoner. She is a slave. And when she sees a problem with her master's life, she says, I know someone who can fix it. Amen. Instead of with a bad attitude saying, I can't believe I was taken out of my homeland, cleaning the dishes, doing whatever she's doing. I can't believe that I was brought out. After all, I'm an Israelite. Yeah. Now, after all, I serve God. I love God. What, why am I the one that was taken captive? Instead of harboring ill will against Naaman, she says, Naaman, you need to meet the man of God. I don't know your circumstances at all. I have no idea how good your life is. But let me just say this, there will come rough patches. And I hope in those times, our witness is not wedded. And our burning fire for telling everybody about the Lord Jesus Christ is not hindered because we're in the valley. Oh, you say, well, you know, Andrew, I'm just like a salesman at my work. And I I could never really, if I ever want to be promoted in my business, I probably ought to keep the Jesus thing under wraps. (laughs) Let me just say, circumstances should never affect your witness. If you ever feel like your tongue is tied in the place you're at, you need to leave the place that you're at. Because we're not called to work through this life. We're called to live and labor for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ought to have an effective witness regardless of our circumstances. The hero in this story is not Elisha. It's a little girl who says, I don't care how bad my life is. I don't care how bad things are going right now. I'm going to tell somebody about the Word of God. I'm going to tell somebody about the man of God. How's your witness right now? Joshua Baptist Church, I want to see great things done here. I want to see miracles performed. But if we're not telling others of how strong and mighty our God is, why would He do miracles to show them? For it's probably when those miracles occur, we would just think they're common occurrence. First of all, I believe our story is being silenced. Second of all, our faith is becoming finicky. Look in verse 7. Now this letter has been sent to the king of Israel... Saying, We need Naaman, this man, this honorable man, healed. Verse seven, And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send unto me to recover a man of leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. Now, as I look at this passage of Scripture, I see that there's a king of Israel. And and now we all understand that many kings of Israel had great faith. For instance, David. We all know the story of David, and we all know how he was a man after God's own heart. And truly, God never wanted to establish a king over Israel, but the people said, we want a king, we want a king, so give us a king, give us a king. And God's heart the whole time was that he would be their king, but for their crying and their moaning, God gave them a king. Now, the king was supposed to be a man of faith. He was supposed to be a man of war. He was supposed to have a good testimony among the people. David had that. Solomon, for the most part, had that. But now we get to this man named Joram. The king of Israel, supposed to be strong in faith, supposed to lead the nation in in battles and conquering other nations. And yet this man sends a letter to him saying, will you heal this man of leprosy? And he says, what am I going to do about that? I believe our faith is just fading a little bit. Yeah. Amen. I believe we try doing things in our own power. I think we try taking things out of God's hands and placing them in, in these fleshly tiny hands. And, and, and I don't understand that, but I believe that's happening. Yes, I believe, first of all, we tend to forget past miracles. Look in Second Kings chapter 3, just, just a few chapters before where we're at now. 2 Kings chapter 3, Joram is king of Israel at this moment. He is the king and and he is the guy that's still supposed to be leading the people in faith. And let me just explain to you the story that's going on in uh, uh, 2 Kings chapter 3. What's happening here is the king of Moab has rebelled against Joram. Now, Joram sends word to King Jehoshaphat, which is the king of Judah, and says, Moab has rebelled against me, and they're going to come up and fight me. Will you go with me to fight? So the king of Judah and the king of Israel say, yeah, 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 we'll go up together. What Where are we going to go? And the king of Israel, Joram, he says, we're going to go through the land of Edom. Now, as they pass through the land of Edom, they actually contract the services of the king of Edom. So there's three kings, three armies against one army, the king of Moab. But they forgot one essential thing, water. And I don't know how they didn't prepare for this, but they get a little thirsty. And all the men of Israel and all the men of Judah and all the men of Edom need drink. And Joram, with his strong faith that he had, said, What are we going to do? We've got no water and and God brought us out here just to die because of thirst. And he's going to deliver the three kings uh, uh, into the hand of the Moabites? And then what's funny is the king of uh, Judah, Jehoshaphat, he says in verse 11, is there not a prophet among all the land of Israel? Now, 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 the king of Israel didn't even realize that there was somebody that could handle the problem. Amen. Instead, it was somebody else said, Hey, do you have a prophet around that might be able to, I don't know, summon the power of God or something like that that would help us out? It's a really unique story. And, and, and so Elisha shows up and he says, I tell you what, this is what God's going to do. You're going to dig trenches in the earth. You're going to get some holes in the ground and and you're not going to see any wind. You're not going to see any rain. You're not going to see any cloud cover. But when you look up, there's going to be water in them holes. And God provides a great miracle. And then he provides a victory in battle because uh, the, the Moabites see some water and they think it's blood. And they say, the valley's filling with blood and they begin to flee and God delivers this army uh, for Joram. Two chapters later, somebody sends to him, hey, can you just perform this one thing? Oh no, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? It's not like God's ever worked for me before. What about in chapter three? i tell you what, Christian, if you're saved in this room, God's done a miracle in your life. And now he's miracled for some of us more than he has others. I mean, the sanctification process is a little further along for some than it is others. But God did a miracle at the redemptive work of Calvary in your life. We tend to forget about those miracles, do we not? I tell you what, I've heard a testimony recently of someone in this church whose home was a wreck. Until they joined this church, fell in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, and now their home is becoming more peaceful every single day. That's a miracle. Because hours and hours of counseling could not provide them peace. Just a few sermons in this book did. I want you to understand, God is still doing miracles. We tend to overlook them. And we forget what He's done for us in the past. Secondly, we forget present ministers. Verse 11, you see back over there in chapter 3, they say, isn't there a guy named Elisha? I mean, this guy has done some pretty amazing things. He was the servant to a man named Elijah who just parted water all the time, did great miracles Don't you have, Elisha, at your every beck and call? And he tends to forget about the fact that God's power is readily available for him anytime he needs it. Let me say, how does that apply to me? You think we don't forget about God's power? You think the finances get a little tight and we begin to uh, stretch and try pulling our checkbooks apart and we don't depend on the power of God? You think we have a little tension at the household and we try fixing it in our own strength and in our own abilities? And and you don't think every once in a while we tend to forget to call on the name of the Lord? You see, God's power is just as available for us as it was for Elisha. It's just as available for us as it was for Moses. And we forget about the ever-present power of God in our everyday lives. God wants to do miracles but we're stopping them. Amen. Right. And it's our unwillingness to just say, I will try and have faith as a grain of mustard seed. And I will have mountain moving faith. You see, mountain moving faith is small faith. It's just all faith. Yeah. Amen. When you take it out of your hands and you take it out of your person and say, God, I can't do it any longer. It's yours. Amen. That's when our faith becomes firm and no longer finicky. Thirdly, our story is being silenced, our faith is becoming finicky, but finally, our obedience is being omitted. Look in verse 10. So, this is what's taking place. Uh, Naaman has come to Elisha and said, he stands at the door. Elisha simply gives him instructions. Naaman, this is all you're going to have to do. You've come over a hundred miles now. Thirty miles from here, there's a river. It's the River Jordan. And you're just going to go dip in that river seven times. You'll be healed after you do that. Verse 10 says, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall become again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Why does Naaman then begin to... Buck, what Elisha has simply told him would fix his problem. It's almost like he wanted uh, to be, uh, 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 he wanted to be appeased as to rather be healed. It's like, I want you to do it my way instead of the good way, the right way, the way that's going to fix it. I want it a certain way. Look with me, if you will. Uh, The power in this story is imperceptible. In verse 11, the Bible says, But Naaman was wroth, and this was the reason that he was angry. He went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and and strike his hand over the place and, and recover me. I wanted it done in a very theatrical and showy manner. I mean, I wanted a a Red Sea Crossing type miracle. I I don't want one of those small ones. I mean, if if this is going to be done, people better remember how it was done. And it's so silly because Naaman just wants to be uh, appeased as rather to be healed and rather to be fixed. But see, God doesn't always work with a flashy show. I love going to the Rangers games. They're cool. Not right now, I don't guess. Seven zeros and those, those aren't very fun. But uh, I, I do enjoy going to Rangers games most of the time. However, my wife buys tickets for Friday night. And for anybody that's any type of Rangers fan, you know what's special about Friday night home games is it's the fireworks show. And the fireworks show is the best fireworks show that I've ever been a part of I, that I've ever seen. They go all out. I remember we took the teenagers to a fireworks show, and, and uh, we didn't realize that they shoot them off in the bus parking lot. And so we had nowhere to park the bus. And just one of those youth director fun things where it's like, oh no, I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to park in Subway's parking lot and walk. You know, it's just terrible. It was, it was a horrible time. And, and we figured it out. But I love going to Friday night fireworks shows. I always tell people this way this is how I describe it. When you're sitting in the stadium and the fireworks are going off, they go off for about 10 to 15 minutes and they're playing like, you know, they'll have 80s music night. And and I was so scared that the teenagers were going to get there and it's like hardcore rap night. I was like, oh no. You know, uh, please Lord, don't let it be some terribly wicked music that we have to listen to. And it ended up being like show tunes or something like that. And so all the kids were dancing and stuff like that. It's like, we're Baptist everyone. So that was fun. But uh, I, the way I describe it to people that have never been is the, the fireworks go, uh, go up. It's, it's center field, but it's almost right center field. And, and they're shooting up, and you can look at them. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing for the first 10 minutes. But the last two to three minutes of that show are unreal. I mean, I like fireworks, they're pretty, but, you know, they're repetitive and they get old quick. But in the last two minutes of that, they have what's called the grand finale. And these fireworks are shooting off, and there's so many explosions, you can feel the percussion on your face. And they're going, <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> and so you're listening to like Doo Wop Diddy, and it's like, it's a really cool time. I love going because the shows are amazing and it's, it's just this great, spectacular thing. But I feel as if Christians far too often expect this great light show of God's power and presence. Amen. Uh, the Bible describes God's voice uh, at times as the sound of many rushing waters. Niagara Falls just, just pales in comparison to the voice of God. But at other times, it describes it as a still, small voice. You don't think his power is the same way? God can kill you by a lightning bolt, but he can kill you by a moth. God can save somebody by the voice of a donkey if he chooses to, or he can save them by the parting of a Red Sea. So often, Christians think, oh, it's going to be this great deliverance, I'm going to have this great story... Let me just say, God's power is just as effective and just as good of a deliverer, whether there's this great laser and light show, or if there's nothing at all. So often we think that God ought to just provide this great thing that we can all take pride in. I think God's just looking for Christians that will say, God, I know you can deliver me, and if nobody else ever hears a word about it, it'll be just fine with me. Finally... Not only is the power imperceptible, but the prescription is inconvenient. This is why our obedience is often just left out. Because it's not convenient. Look in verse 12 of chapter 5. This is Naaman's words. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So basically, Naaman wants to do it on his way back home. And he says, I don't want to go another 30 miles. I mean, far par and this, this other one that's extremely hard to pronounce. I hope I'm right on the pronunciation. This, th- these two, you know, they're kind of more on my way back. Can't I just wash in them? You think Christians don't every once in a while say... You know, that's just a little too much. I really don't want to go that far. You You know, I don't really want to commit any really time on Saturday uh, witnessing to somebody who might know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. I mean, it's my Saturday. Aren't the rivers of Far Parmar better? I mean, I don't want to attend a prayer meeting because, you know, I can pray by myself and it'd be just as effective even though the bible promises where two or three are gathered in my name he promises to be there the bible never promises that about a prayer of one person the bible actually tells us that sometimes god turns his ear from the prayer of one person if he's not living right so uh i don't want to attend a a prayer meeting i have to get to church 30 minutes earlier your efforts aren't going to deliver this church your efforts aren't going to bring miracles to this church. A humbled people calling on the name of their Lord God will. Amen. And you can say, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give my tithe. God wants you to go all the way to the river of Jordan. Amen. He doesn't want you to just do what's convenient for you. God wants complete obedience. Amen. Amen. The reason miracles are being left out is because Christians are not willing to go all the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this and we'll be done. What is the miracle in this passage? The miracle in this passage could possibly be that providentially God placed a small little maid in an enemy's camp, and that that was able to, her witness was able to help Naaman find healing. That's a pretty big miracle that God would take a captive girl and place her somewhere she had no business being. But that's not the real miracle of this story. It's pretty phenomenal that Naaman was able, actually when his servants talked some sense into him, he does go down into Jordan River and there's no healing powers in the Jordan River. There's healing powers found in God Almighty and And even though he he had somewhat of an attitude, he goes down, dips seven times, and he comes again and he's clean like a skin of a little baby. That's a pretty cool miracle. But that's not the miracle in this story. Look in verse 15. This is the miracle. And he returned to the man of God. He and all his company came and stood before him. And he said, Behold... Now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. This is the leader of all the armies of an enemy of the nation of Israel. This guy has no business believing in God, and yet he does. That's a miracle. Do you know the Bible tells us that this is the only man in Elisha's day that he healed of leprosy, even though there were thousands of them? Naaman's the only one. But man, just say, the miracle was not that Naaman was healed of leprosy. The miracle is that Naaman no longer bowed his knee to his false gods. If you read the rest of the chapter, he says, uh, he prays a prayer of repentance and says, God, forgive me for bowing my knee in the temple of my God. Because he says, now I know that all these other gods are graven with men's hands. They're just fake. They're idols. There's a true God, and it's not the God that I've been worshiping. It's the God of Israel. It's the God that healed me when I went into the river of Jordan and dipped seven times. That's the God I'm going to serve. When I say, I want more miracles done, I'm not saying we need to part any water. When I say that miracles can occur today, I'm not asking for a calm, stormy sea. I'm asking for the salvation of men. Think about this with me, if you will. Out of all the miracles that Christ performed, turning water to wine even healing, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, healing all the lepers he healed, uh, uh, recovering the sight of all the blind men he uh, recovered, uh, raising all the men that were crippled men and allowing them to walk and leap away from their beds that they had been ridden on forever. Out of all those miracles, what did that cost the Lord? Nothing. What did your salvation cost him? His life. You understand today, Christian. I don't want to see waters parted. I want to see men come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I don't care to see the theatrical shows of uh, of men being hit in the head with a Bible and them uh, automatically being able to no longer limp or no longer being able to cough. I want to see men walk down this aisle and kneel their uh, knee to an almighty God in heaven and say, Lord Jesus Christ, save me from my sins. I don't want to see the theatrics. I want to see people saved. Amen. The reason people are not being saved is because we're not obeying is because we don't have the faith to completely follow wholly to our God. And because the story that we ought to be telling so often is often muted when it comes from our mouth. I want to see souls saved. I want to see this building filled, not with people who are not getting right with God just so that we can have high knees taking up seats. I want to see men growing in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to see men leading their homes so that their wives know there's a man of God in their home. I want to see wives submitting to their uh, husband, helping him and raising godly children for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to see miracles performed. Are you the one stopping them? Is it your lack of faith? Is it your unwillingness to obey completely the Word of God and His commandments? Is it the fact that you have never once spoken what God did for you? Amen. Miracles can happen, for God says, I change not. Are you the one stopping